numbers ordered, placed in their right places, maybe rearranged, eggs stuffed, faces painted, anthems sung, tables set, casseroles made, dishes done, somber and festive celebrations pulled off. And now we are exhausted. Ready for a week at the beach? I saw a couple clergy colleagues share their pictures, and I was quite jealous that we had not made those plans in our family. Easter has come and gone, and now we are ready to rest. It's not uncommon that this Sunday is a little quieter, but Easter is not over. As we say in Godly Play, which is the curriculum that we're going to be using with the kids, Easter cannot be contained in just one Sunday. It goes on for one, two, three, four, five, six Sundays. It is a whole season for us to celebrate and ponder how Jesus is still with us. It is a great mystery. Just as he was with the disciples back then, he is with us now today. So today, it is the second Sunday of Easter. We have butterflies still up. We have the color white, the color of pure celebration. Though some of our flowers have faded a little bit. They are timed for the big, the big day. So this is the time that we live in the mystery that death is not the final word. And this is also the time that we get ready for Pentecost. That's something I, I think I've missed out on on much of my life in the church, that this season of Easter is also a time to get ready for Pentecost. So on this Sunday, after the dust has settled, where do we find ourselves? Um, I might guess just by experiencing the weather last week that you have experienced the cycle of death and resurrection again. When it snows in April, we are sick and tired of it. We have survived the cold for so long, and we are so ready for a little warmth and sunshine. Some of us show a little bit of evidence of having taken advantage of it yesterday. We saw buds popping, maybe had conversations with neighbors. We felt, imagine, a little bit of resurrection with warmth and sunshine that has come and maybe have a little bit of new life breathed into us. So I want to go to our uh, disciples. And where are they after they have heard something about Jesus' body disappearing? Or is he alive again? What is happening? At this point, they are not out sharing the good news. and maybe not even believing it. 
Did they know it was good news yet? It doesn't really seem like it because they are behind locked doors. They didn't know it to be true. They were afraid of the religious leaders and afraid for their own lives. I think it's pretty common for us to gloss over this time. We celebrate Easter and it's done. But this was actually an incredibly confusing time for the disciples and for those who were following Jesus. Wondering and questioning, what does this mean? Trying to piece things together. Well, what did Jesus say about that? And maybe what did that mean? I can imagine that they were trying to figure out what they would do next. When Jesus was with them, they knew. They were just going to follow him and do whatever he had done, but now he was gone. And even if he was alive again, he was still kind of gone. What would they be doing? And this is the point where Jesus comes to them. In that room where they are, hiding behind locked doors, and Jesus says, peace be with you. Peace be with you. I think each week we rehearse this a little bit and maybe don't really remember where it comes from. We're accustomed to saying, peace be with you, the peace of Christ be with you. And then there's this moment of realizing the disciples were terrified and afraid, hiding behind closed doors, and Jesus brings them peace and wishes them peace. And we know that peace is not a given in this world. That fear, violence, hostility, and uncertainty are probably much more certain, much more things that we can expect. But peace, true peace, can be a real surprising gift. So Jesus comes to them and wishes them peace. He shows them his wounds, and they recognize him, and they rejoice. And I can imagine that sort of reunion. I can't help but think of Ukraine in this moment, of a place where people are afraid for loved ones. And then, if they have the chance to reunite with them and see them again, The rejoicing is real. And so Jesus says again to them, peace be with you. Receive the Holy Spirit. And he gives them power. He sends them out and gives them the Holy Spirit. And Thomas missed it. He wasn't there. He didn't have this chance for the rejoicing, for the relief. I don't know if you all know the FOMO. Curious, everybody, do you know what FOMO is? A a few people. So uh, our young people definitely know what FOMO is. The fear of missing out. 
Our teenagers don't want to miss out what might be happening without them. And this is really the ultimate thing to miss out on. Thomas was not there when Jesus came to the disciples. One of my Easter traditions, not so much when I was growing up, um, a little bit, it was kind of on the periphery, but I grew up in Texas, and it's very common that uh, we celebrate Easter with cascarones, with confetti eggs. And so with hard-boiled eggs or plastic eggs that are hidden, you also have confetti eggs. And then you spend a lot of time chasing your loved ones and getting ready to crack them <laughs> on their heads. If they are nice to you, they crack it in their hand and just spread the confetti in your hair. Uh, but sometimes it's just a hard eggshell right on your head, and it's surprising how strong they can be. When I was in seminary, I wanted to bring this tradition to um, Chicago and McCormick, where I was studying. And so with some friends, I had made some confetti eggs, and we were cracking them on each other's heads. But one of our friends had her mother visiting, and she was an older woman, and I really wanted to protect her, in particular probably from that really hard crack on the head. And so I was like, well, but don't hit Ruth's mom on the head. And so we had a whole lot of fun cracking eggs, even inside the building. We would clean it up. It's quite a beautiful sight, all the confetti everywhere. Though if you buy them, I do recommend the dye. Uh, I don't actually recommend doing that because the dye does stain. So just in case you're going to pick it up, make your own if you're doing it inside. Um, after we had used all of our confetti eggs, there was a moment where my friend's mother, I could see a little bit of disappointment. She wanted to join in on the fun and did not want to be left out. And hadn't occurred to me to ask her. But no one wants to miss out on joy. And Thomas missed it. He wasn't there. It does make me wonder and consider, what was Thomas doing? Was he out on a coffee run for everybody? Picking up the tacos for dinner? Maybe checking on loved ones? Maybe just running late? Maybe the message hadn't got to him about where they were going to meet? Or maybe... Thomas didn't want to be in hiding. Wanted to know what was happening in the world. Somehow I think it seems customary or automatic that um, we blame Thomas for not believing. Doubting Thomas? Just curious. Is everybody, do people kind of like have a negative impression of, common, of Thomas? I think it sticks. There's a, there's a line in scripture that I would say definitely leans towards that interpretation. Um, blessed are those who believe without seeing. But there is so much more here that I think we need to look at and maybe flip it around.
So Thomas wasn't there, and Thomas says what he wants, and he asks for it. He says, I want to touch the wounds of our Lord. I want to see Jesus. Unless I see the marks of his, the nails in his hand and I put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. And we might think or set Thomas apart, but if we look at the whole scripture and remember, what was it that brought the other disciples to believing? They didn't believe without seeing. They were locked in hiding. They, too, needed Jesus to come to them for fear to turn into rejoicing. And that perhaps we need to focus not on, G on Thomas, but on what Jesus does, how Jesus responds. And the gift is that Jesus comes, and Jesus says, here I am, and touch my wounds. I love the image on your bulletin where it is an image of compassion. Jesus is holding Thomas, comforting him, and being there for him. So perhaps the invitation for us is not that, oh, if you doubt the resurrection, that you are not deserved of love, that it's really wonderful when those people who can believe without seeing do that, but if you can't, no. What we need to remember is that Jesus comes. Jesus comforts, offers peace, and then sends us out. So the invitation for us, I think, is to think of what we need. To not assume that it is impossible as we go forward this week, taking climate action, wondering what is possible in the world, maybe the invitation is to not think that something is impossible, but to ask for what we want, to ask for what we need, to imagine that it is possible, and that Christ will meet us there. Amen.